pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. I'm glad you're with us today. I've been off the air for about two weeks, desperately sick. Thank you for coming today. I want to report to you that the Lord Jesus has healed me from a high fever and a desperate cold. I don't know what it was. 
but I've been delayed in the study of the book of Hebrews with you. So today we're returning to that book of Hebrews, and I'd like to pray with you as we begin. Almighty God, as we open the book of Hebrews today, I ask that you would alert our hearts, alert our minds, open before us an understanding of the deep things of your Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Now, in the book of Hebrews, we find the ministry of Jesus explained. As we move into our next portion, which is chapter 3, I want to express to you the deepest desire of my heart is to be like Jesus. And everything in this culture, everything in the news, in the entertainment, everything in all of the American culture is geared to destroy your desire to be like Jesus. It's to steal and rob and kill. It's to destroy. To destroy your faith in Jesus Christ. To cause you to settle back into indifference. And the warning is very stern in Hebrews, the third chapter. Therefore, holy brothers partakers of the heavenly calling, you must carefully fix attention on the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. Fix your attention or your thoughts. This is a deliberate act that we must take. I know. Everything is screaming at us. Money, tiredness, anger, bitterness, people encroaching into our hearts and into our lives. Everything is oriented by the devil to steal from us and not allow us to walk in the fellowship of the Spirit. I want to tell you today, The desire of my heart is to walk in Jesus. I'm not willing to walk except by faith in Jesus Christ. And you must have this fixed in your heart that you are going to walk with Jesus, that you are not going to turn aside You're not going to back away. You're not going to be numbed out. Now, Paul, or the writer of the book of Hebrews, continues. Verse 3, he talks about Jesus is worthy of greater praise than Moses because Moses was just a servant in the house. But Jesus is the one who built the house. He is the Christ. He is the son over the house, and we are his house. And so the warning is to hold fast the confidence and to rejoice in the hope of that final end with Jesus. And then comes an even more stern warning. 
Verse 7, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, may you not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Now, he is quoting a passage from the Old Testament that specifically deals with what the children of Israel did as they rejected the Lord God of heaven, as they rebelled against him. I want to define some words very carefully. May you not harden your hearts. That word harden, it literally means in the Hebrew to dry it out, to dry out like a board like a piece of leather that is utterly dried out, left sitting out in the sun until it is totally inflexible. He's saying, may you not dry out your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of temptation in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me and provoked me, and yet saw my works for 40 years. For this reason, I was angry with that generation, and I said they always led astray by their heart. They're always led astray in the heart. Again, led astray in their thoughts, in their conscious thoughts. And they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they will not enter into my rest. Now, I have a warning for you today. Many of you have grown very dry. You don't have the quickness of the Spirit in your heart. When was the last time you sat before Jesus and wept over your sin? No, most of you haven't because you're dry. You become dry and inflexible. You think, I know what the gospel is. I know how to walk. I know what I'm supposed to know. And you have the theology in your heart, but you don't have the experience. You don't have the intimacy. You don't have the closeness with Jesus. Instead, you have dry orthodoxy or you have cheap emotionalism. But you don't have that deep down, absolute confidence, I'm not going back. I'm going to serve Jesus. He is everything to me. You don't have that. Now, there's another part in this that I want to highlight. It's at the end of verse 10. This is Hebrews 3, verse 10. They did not know my ways. Do you know the ways of God? Do you know the ways of prayer so that you receive answers in the physical realm when you pray? Do you know the way of God? Do you know what makes him angry and what pleases him? 
Many of you have listened to this broadcast on Pilgrim's Progress now for even some years. But you have not ever come to the prayer chapel. If you will come to the prayer chapel, you will find an explosion of growth in your spiritual life. You will discover other people who are active and alive in an experimental faith with Jesus Christ. You will find people who know the ways of God, who know how to pray, who weep before God. Don't be content to simply be entertained, to hear a message that does not pierce your heart. Don't settle for anything less than explosive growth in Jesus. Talking about his ways and examining carefully your ways. Some of you are so overwhelmed by the daily tasks, the job you hate, the family you're taking care of, the responsibilities of life, and you think you know how you're going to survive and make it through and have a little bit of fun in the process. But you don't know the true ways of God. If you want to know the ways of God, you need to come to the, to the National Prayer Chapel. You need to come and sit under the preaching and listen to others and talk with others who are learning and who know the ways of God. There is such a great immaturity because we think we know Jesus loves me, this I know. And that's about all we know. He's forgiven my sins and I'm saved. No sense of reality. Living an unrighteous life, living a life filled with your daily activities with the devil or with the world or with the flesh. Self-indulgent, selfish, angry, bitter. One dear woman. One dear woman. I've tried to minister to her. I've tried to share the gospel with her. But all she's concerned about is her work and her profession. All she's concerned about are her children and her husband. All she's concerned about is daily having the most enjoyment she can have with no long-term view of heaven or what it would mean to go to heaven. Breaks my heart. This is a very stern warning. They did not know my way. And I swore in my wrath they will never enter my rest. Then verse 12. You must take heed, brethren, lest there be in any one of you an evil heart of unbelief and fall away from the living God. But you must encourage yourselves every day while it is called today, lest any one of you may be hardened by the deception of the sin. Literally, 
Today, today, don't let the deception of sin dry out your thoughts and harden them in a false belief that you can be a sinning Christian. Don't be hardened in your theology that causes you to be dried out like an old board or an old dry piece of leather. For it says we have become partakers of the Christ on the condition that we may hold firmly the beginning of the trust until the end. It says today, if you hear his voice, may you not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. May you not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For some having heard, rebelled. But not all the ones having come out from Egypt by Moses. In other words, there were a few who came out of Egypt, Joshua, Caleb, children, even wives, that did not harden their hearts. The ones who hardened their hearts, he was angry with them for 40 years. Is God angry with you today? Now, some people say, oh, God doesn't become angry with his people. Well, I just read to you in Hebrews, the fourth the third chapter where it says that God was angry with his people for 40 years, and so he let them die in the desert. Is God angry with you because you refuse to soften your heart and get serious about letting Christ be formed in you? You keep going back to your same old sins you keep going back to your self-indulgence. You keep going back to that alcohol or to that fornication. You keep going back to those old sins of raging anger, of impatience, of stealing, of lying. You keep going back to pride and self-righteousness. These are the things that will make God angry with you. He doesn't cover these sins over. He either removes them or he grows angry with you because you refuse to allow the blood of Jesus at Calvary to do its work and remove these sins from your heart. Was it not with the ones having sinned whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would never enter into his rest? The ones having disobeyed. Now we see that they were not able to enter in because of their unbelief. What is unbelief? 
unbelief is turning my thoughts away from the living God and refusing to entrust myself into his hands to allow him to accomplish in me all that he desires to accomplish. And I'm pleading with you today, my brother, my sister, is God angry with you? Have you trusted in false words and false teachings that have allowed you to continue to walk in contempt before Almighty God? Have you denied what he has done for you? Have you denied the glorious miracle of seeing Jesus? Have you said, I will serve Jesus, but then you go out and serve the world? What is your heart condition before God today? Is God angry with you? Have you turned aside, hardening your heart, made a ritual of your of your prayer time made a ritual of your morning study made a ritual of going to church made a ritual of of your relationship with Jesus has all of the the juice drained out of your friendship with Jesus Do you lift your heart constantly through the day in praise and worship to Jesus? Is your heart tender today toward Jesus, or is your heart hardened? Are your thoughts hardened about Jesus? Are you taking him for granted, blowing him off, relating to him in a way that shows you don't really believe he's real? and that you don't really trust him. What is your condition before God today? Chapter 4. Consequently, that is, they were not able to enter into the rest of God. They were not able to enter into the intimacy of God. They were not allowed to enter into salvation. Consequently, may we fear, lest a promise being left open to enter into his rest, anyone from among you might think to have missed it. For indeed, we are having the gospel preached to us, even as they. But the word of hearing did not benefit them, not having been united with faith. After they'd heard, they had no faith. They had no trust in God. They had trust in their money. They had trust in their belongings. And they were angry because they didn't have the water when they wanted it. They were angry because of this manna that fell every morning, and they were tired of the manna. They were not happy because their life was not the lifestyle they desired. They refused to put their trust in the Lord God of heaven. Now we, the ones having believed, enter into the rest just as he has said. As I swear, as I swore in my wrath, they will not enter into my rest. 
even though the works having been finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said, as we know, concerning the seventh day in this manner, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And in this place again, they will not enter my rest. Have you entered the rest of Jesus? Have you entered into that personal place of intimacy where you have entirely trusted yourself to Jesus and where he has come and circumcised your heart and changed you into his likeness? Or do you still look like the world and sound like the world? I know you listen to this broadcast, and I'm very grateful for the many kind notes and letters that I receive from listeners. But I'm concerned for you. The reason I'm concerned, the reason I'm concerned today for you is that I know you will not finally grow into the fullness of Jesus if you are not in a church that is teaching what Jesus taught. I don't mean light, frilly, emotional, inspirational messages. I mean a message that confronts you in the deepest part of your heart and turns you. That's why I say if you come to the National Prayer Chapel, you will experience an explosion in your spiritual growth. You will not be the same. And many of you I'm praying for, and I'm asking the Lord to draw you to a place where you don't just sit in your car and listen and then turn it off because you have to run or in your office and then turn it off because you have to run, but where you can sit and listen for a full hour to the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you can talk with men and women who are on this journey also, where you can experience the true fellowship of Jesus Christ and not just the social light of life of the modern church. You're not going to come to the prayer chapel and find coffee sitting in the back with donuts. We don't do that. There's nothing wrong with coffee. I love it. There's nothing wrong with donuts. I love them. But that's not why we come to church. And we don't come to church for socializing. We come to the National Prayer Chapel because our heart is hungry for Jesus, or we desire that our hearts would become hungry for Jesus. And so no matter what the cost, people drive from, from Frederick, Maryland. They drive from Hyattsville. They drive from Prince George County. They come from Dumfries. They come from all over the area. They come from Lorton. They come from way over in Vienna. Why do they drive so far? Sometimes it takes them two hours on a, on a Tuesday night to come to prayer. Why do they do that? 
because their heart is hungry for Jesus. It's vital now that we begin to upset our schedules, that we begin to examine carefully how we walk. Now, because I'm speaking this way to you, I'm going to take you to what I did on the Sunday sermon. It was not recorded in a way we can share it with you on the broadcast. And so I'm going to just quickly walk through some of what I shared on Sunday so that you can get a taste of the flavor of what is happening at the National Prayer Chapel and why you need to be a part. Matthew, the fifth chapter. This is the first recorded sermon of Jesus. And he sits down, as in that culture, when something is important to be said, and he opens his mouth and he begins to teach the people. Now, Jesus has come to teach the people about the way of life. Listen to the first step in the way of life. The Beatitudes are a stair step all the way into the kingdom of God. They build one upon another. You can't skip one step. They are laid out in order for us to know what a Christian looks like. Compare yourself to what I'm going to share. Now, we may not get through all of it today, but we will come back and go at it again tomorrow if we need to. Verse 3, blessed, or how happy, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the beginning place for a person who wants to be a Christian. And if you've never come to this place, as John Bunyan put it, you have climbed over the wall, and you have never met the basic requirements for being a Christian. The basic bottom line, baseline for becoming a Christian is Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 3, the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That word poor means literally to be without ability or resource to change my life to be utterly unable to make a difference in my life. Now, all of us know that by the flesh, we can stop smoking. We can do all kinds of things through personal discipline. None of these things are what brings us into the kingdom of God. To be brought into the kingdom of God is a supernatural work. It is not a work of your flesh. It is not saying, okay, I accept Jesus, I'm on my way to heaven. That's not how we enter the kingdom of God. That is a lie. The first step in entry into the kingdom of God, remember Jesus said, if you would follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And he was on his way to Golgotha. 
to be crucified. The first step in becoming a Christian is to recognize our total inability to be a Christian. To recognize that we must deny ourselves the world, the flesh, and the devil and begin to follow Jesus, and he will take us to a place of crucifixion, a place of suffering, a place of dealing with the darkness of our hearts. He is willing to do that for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit, a man who is totally unable to change his life And he comes now as a penitent sinner before God, acknowledging that he has no power to make himself righteous. He has no power to live a righteous life. He can dress up his life. He can can improve his life through the flesh. But he cannot take the wicked heart from his soul. He needs Jesus. And so this first step toward Jesus is a recognition of my absolute need of a Savior. Many of you entered into the church, dancing down the aisle, saying, yes, I'll accept, and you added to an already full life, favorite health club, favorite grocery store, favorite place to work, favorite vacation spot, and you added to that a favorite God. That's not how you become a Christian. To become a Christian means I must recognize my condition before a holy and righteous God. I must come to terms with my wickedness. This is why the preaching of the gospel is so important, because it begins to pierce our hearts. This is why you need to come to the prayer chapel where your heart will be pierced by the proclaimed word of God. Many of you go to churches where there is no piercing word of God, where there is no confrontation with sin. It's just little flesh-pleasing inspirational messages. Interesting, articulate, point of discussion but no life transformation, no power, no tears, no brokenness. No, my brother, my sister, if ever there was a time for a need of brokenness in the body of Christ, today is the day. There is bottom line, no measurable difference between those who call themselves Christians and those who call themselves atheists or pagans. They go to the same places for entertainment. They go to the same places for vacation. They watch the same things on television. They spend their money in the same ways. Focus on the family did careful research and could find no measurable difference between those who said they were Christians, evangelicals, and those who said they were not. 
If ever there was a time when we need a great breaking of our hearts, now is the time. And if you do not expose yourself to the preaching that pierces your heart, you will never enter the rest of God. Now, the National Prayer Chapel is not the only place where righteousness is preached and holiness is lifted up, and you're called to walk in the gift of grace in Jesus Christ. But it is one of the places. Now, verse 4, Matthew 5, verse 4, Blessed are the ones mourning, for they will be comforted. Once we begin to come to terms with the reality of our wickedness before God, our casualness, our hardness, the way we have dried out our heart with worldliness and with worldly entertainment and with the mega sporting events of our day and all the television and all the internet and all the cell phone and all the foolishness hardening our hearts. Once we begin to come to terms with that hardening of our hearts, and once our hearts begin to break, we will begin to mourn before God, for we will see that we are lost, not saved. We will see the lie that we have been comforted in a false, in a false belief. We have been comforted in a false belief that we are saved and on our way to heaven, while in fact we look and act and live like the world. With no Holy Spirit warmth in our hearts. Dry. 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 Upset with this and upset with that and angry about this and angry about that and striking out. My brother, my sister. Dead men walking. Because never have they come to a place where they recognize that only by a supernatural work of God can their hearts be changed and turned from their darkness. A form of religion, but no, no power, no salt, no power. And the first thing that begins to happen when we begin to recognize the true condition of our heart is we just simply sit and weep before God. Every great revival that has happened in American history or the Welsh revival or the revival in Africa, always it has been the same. When the convicting power of God begins to come upon us, we begin to weep for our sins. Have you wept for your sins? Some of you would say, Pastor, I don't even know what you're talking about. 
No, because you don't know the ways of God. That's what I'm trying to say to you today. Some of you have not wept before God for years, if ever, because you don't know the ways of God. And if you don't know the ways of God, you cannot enter into his rest in spite of all the intellectual understanding that you have, in spite of all the church meetings you go to. You'll never enter the rest of God. The children of Israel traveled in the desert with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. They saw the manna on the ground every morning. But they died in the wilderness because they hardened their hearts. They were casual about their relationship with Jesus. Many of you listening to this broadcast today know exactly what I'm talking about. You have not learned the ways of God and your heart has become hard. You don't have the powerful anointing presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't even know what sin you should confess or repent of. And I have to tell you, as a pastor, there was one day when a man confronted me and said, Pastor Ray, you need to repent of your sin. And I angrily said to him, I, I have repented for my sin. What are you talking about? I'm saved. He said, oh, brother dear, you don't even begin to know who Jesus Christ is. You're full of information. You're full of theology but you don't know Jesus. I was very angry and very upset with that man. But it started a fire burning in my soul. And the day came when I had to lay on the floor before the Lord and weep and mourn, as I have done many times since, where I know I have hurt the heart of my Savior. And I've had to sit before him or lay before him on the floor or kneel before him and weep over my sin. I know I'm speaking to people today, many of you. Your eyes are dry. You haven't wept over your sin. You don't know the ways of God. You know the ways of the church. You know the ways of your pastor. You know the ways of the world. But you don't know the ways of Jesus. And your heart is hard and dry. And you can't enter the rest of God in this condition. If you're going to enter into the rest of God, you're going to have to come and allow Jesus to begin to expose to you the full breadth and depth and height of wickedness in your heart. That's why I say you need to come to the prayer chapel. You need to pay the price to sit under teaching that will pierce your heart. This week I watched as I preached the word of God 
and I saw the tears in the eyes. I knew the word of God was penetrating. I didn't say anything. I just lifted up a heart of praise to Jesus that men and women were getting serious with God and their hearts were being pierced and tears were beginning to flow down their faces. What will it take for you to finally get serious enough about Jesus? What will it take for finally there to be a great upwelling in your heart of desire to be like Jesus? When will you cast off this hard dryness of your heart and seek the rain of the Holy Spirit upon the dry soil of your heart? When will you do this? If not now, when? If you have not wept before God, you have not been saved by God. If you have not wept over your sin, you've never been forgiven for your sin. If your heart is dry and hard, you are not in the rest of Jesus. That word rest, yes, it means cessation of labor. But it means much more than that. It means the bedroom of God. It means a place of repose. It means a place of intimacy with God. If you have not wept for your sin, you will not be allowed into the bedroom of God. It's that simple. Now, you have to choose what you're going to do with this message. And you can do as the children of Israel did and grow angry and throw it off and continue down the road of your religious life. May I tell you frankly, I hate religion. I love Jesus Christ. I don't practice religion. I practice following my Savior and my Lord as closely as I can get to Him. I walk with Him. I talk with Him. He walks with me. He talks with me. He brings life into my soul. He brings water into my heart. As I sit, as I kneel, as I walk, as I pray, I'm in the presence of Jesus. Are you? I don't mean intellectually. I mean in reality. Are you walking with Jesus in your, in your inner heart? Or is your attention on everything in the world, the flesh and the devil? Are you distracted by all the things in the world? A man who sits down and watches by the hour the professional sports is not a true follower of Jesus. He's a great religionist, but he doesn't know Jesus. How can I say that? Because his attention is on the devil's play, not the Lord Jesus. See, where is the comfort of your heart? I confess to you today, the comfort of my heart is found in the person, in the work in the place of Jesus Christ. He is everything to me. I have no life outside of Jesus. 
All that I have belongs to him. All, all the heart cry of my soul is for Jesus. Without him, I have nothing. He is everything to me. What is he to you today? If we look at Matthew, the fifth chapter, the fifth verse, the next step says, Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Yes, Mr. Producer, thank you. We're having technical difficulties today, so my producer's having to call me on the telephone to tell me we have five minutes left in the broadcast. (laughs) The next step is, blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. How can a man be anything but humble? How can a woman be anything but humble if a supernatural work of God has been done in their heart? Their sin has been exposed for what it is. And they have been weeping and mourning over their sin and asking Jesus to forgive them and to remove that sin from their heart and their life. What can a man be or a woman but humble in that situation? Are you humble today? Or are you filled with the pride of this life, content to walk in religion, content to be entertained, content with a social life, content with beautiful music, concerts? Are you content today to just live your life and pursue your goals? Some of you have made very serious oaths before God. Some of you have said, I will not be poor. I will have money. Not realizing that that oath is taking you to hell. That's not an oath that the Lord calls us to make. We're called as Christians to make only one oath, and that is the oath to desire Jesus with all of our hearts and to give ourselves entirely and completely into his hand. Now, my brother, I'm going to invite you again, and I'm going to be pressing over the coming days. You need to come and sit at the prayer chapel for a time and let the Holy Spirit in that holy place begin to pierce your heart. It is a sacred and divine work that the Holy Spirit will do as you come into that place called the National Prayer Chapel. We meet at the All Saints Anglican Church in Woodbridge, Virginia. All Saints Anglican Church. We rent from them. In the afternoon, at 12 noon, we begin with corporate prayer, not chit-chat. We begin by spending the first half hour crying out to God. Come and pray with us. 
and then we open the mic and we have time to share our journey and what God wants to do with us. We have time to share and know that Jesus is listening and encouraging one another. Now, the address is 14851 Gideon Drive. 14851 Gideon Drive, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22192. I invite you to come. I invite you to open your heart that your sin could be exposed, that you could begin to grow rapidly in Jesus. Now let's pray. Almighty God, would you make this word solid in the heart of every person who has listened? And we will praise you and honor you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. We'll continue this study tomorrow. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our